0: coming up on The Dr. John Deloney Show.
1: I can be in a parking lot going five miles an hour. If I get in an accident going five miles an hour, it's fine, but in my insane brain, I picture fatalities and fire. I
0: want you to reframe this. This is not your crazy brain. This is your ride on been there brain. Woo, what's up? This is John with The Dr. John Deloney Show. Greatest mental health in marriage and relationship parenting show ever. So glad that you joined us. Listen, one of the greatest ways you can support us with no money. No money, no anything. We're not asking you to mail us anything. Although, if you want to mail us stuff, that's super fun when I get mail. Um, Just subscribe to the show whether you're watching on youtube or on podcast if you'll just subscribe to it, if you'll send it to people that you that you know and love or send it to people who are struggling with sleep and you want to help them get off um their sleep meds <laughs> this show can do that for them too um and leave a five-star review um send your three-star reviews to jenna sears and um the five-star reviews you can keep here It'd be so great um um uh, I'm appreciative for you. I'm grateful for you. Thank you so much for doing that. Send the show out. Um, Let's go to the phones. Let's just get right to it. Let's go to Renee in Falling Waters, West Virginia. I'm glad it's not Rising Waters, West Virginia. How are you, Renee?
1: (laughs) I'm fantastic. How are you?
0: Good. That would not be good if it was Rising Waters. All right. So what's up?
1: All right. So I'll jump into my question. How can I train myself? To not catastrophize everything that I am not in control of.
0: Renee, that's one of my favorite things to do. Why would you want to give that up? <laughs> it's exhausting. I'm so good at it. I know, but it's so fun. <laughs> it's so fun. What if, I know, but what if, like what if? That's like the haunt question, right? Right. All right, what do you catastrophize? Why do you do that?
1: Well, what I think it stems from, I'll give you a little background. When I was five years old, um, I was in a vehicle accident that killed my mom, and from that point, <laughs>
0: Renee, why she's... did you start there? <laughs> I'm not laughing that your so, mom passed away. I'm just laughing. I think I found it.
1: Um... Right, I think this is this is the thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's everything. So, in car rides, I can be in a parking lot going five miles an hour, and I know in my mind that is logical. If I get in an accident going five miles an hour, it's fine. But in my insane brain, I picture fatalities and fire and explosions. Um, You know, I'm afraid of turning my phone off because I'm convinced as soon as I do it, something's going to happen in my family. Someone will be trying to get a hold of me and there'll be a big thing. Um, When my daughter goes with her father, I'm convinced she's going to get kidnapped or they will be in an accident or something will happen that I'm not there to control or keep from happening. Um, yeah. Like things like that.
0: So I want you to reframe this. This is not your crazy brain.
1: <laughs> this
0: is your right on been there brain. Right. This is your brain doing the best job it can to keep you safe and good for it. Good for it. And here's a weird thing about it. You know what it feels like it's kept you from? Dying in a car wreck for the last 25 right. years. So far. So as far as it's concerned, it's done its job. Right. Right. And then the <laughs> the spin-up part of your brain is like, so far, but it could be today. <laughs> <laughs> and here's, here's, here is the, the damning loop that you're in. You're right. Your daughter could get kidnapped that could actually happen. You could actually get in a fiery burning car wreck. Do you think that's going to happen? Logically?
1: Logically no.
0: Yep. Right. So, the magic is how do we get to Yeah, that could happen, but probably not. And right. the the sentence that that little phrase has was was part of my getting well journey and it still is with me now which is, or not my journey. It sounds like I'm some, like on some spiritual voodoo walk, <laughs> but like on the adventure from going from a super anxious, over catastrophizer to how do I just be a like a well-adjusted, joyful dad, coworker and friend and husband is the sentence, but probably not. And I got that from a banker. I didn't get that from a therapist. I got it from my buddy who's a banker. And I was like, yeah, what about this? And he goes, oh, okay, that could happen. And he goes, but probably not. And I nice. realized, oh yeah, I'm just staring at this one little sliver of pie, and I'm forgetting all the other pie all around it. Um, Have you gone and done something like EMDR? No. I think you should. Okay. And this is not me telling you this clinically. This is me telling you as a friend. What you have yet to do is metabolize the trauma that you experienced firsthand. And by the way, it's not just that car wreck. It's your body's memory of... Being a tethered, tether free five year old kid without a mom. Great. And it's easy to put all of this onto vehicles, onto car wrecks, but it's way bigger than that. The trauma here is way bigger than that. The trauma is a little five year old girl that was stumbling through the world saying, But where's my mom? Right. And your body has to be able to have that memory and ask that question and have that thought and not take off on you as though the wreck is happening again. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. So healing here is not that your mom comes back. Healing here isn't that you didn't experience the single most horrific thing a child could experience, which is the death of their mother. Being in it in a horrific – one second you're here, one second she's gone. Healing is I can remember that i can think of that and my body knows i'm safe in the present and that's what something like emdr can do a good therapist can help you with that we're just trying to make peace with the present we weren't safe then but we're safe now and then here's the worst part oh it's the worst part about catastrophizing the only way to heal from it is right through it right that's the worst. It's the worst. It's the worst. The only way to get over a phobia is to hold a snake and realize yeah. it's not going to kill you. It could, it might, but it probably won't. Right? <laughs> it probably won't. Mm-hmm. And here, did you hear how flippant I am about it. Now it's just become second nature. Right. My wife is four minutes late. She could be cheating on me. Yep, but she's probably not. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Uh, so exactly. it's now it's just a it's just an automated it's an automated statement in my mind. Um, here's the place I want you to start. Number one, I want you to get, how old are you? 32. 32. Okay. So I want you to call a counselor who specializes in EMDR. Try there, start there in your local area. Um, and you may have to travel a little bit. This isn't something I don't think you can do EMDR. I've never heard of it being done, um, on, uh, like zoom or something.
1: Right.
0: Um, but I want you to find a counselor in your area that can do it. Okay. Okay. Um, and say i was a part of a catastrophic wreck as a kid and i am continuing to replay that um it sounded like tell me if i'm wrong it sounded like just when i was talking about a little five-year-old girl missing her mom your body started you got choked up there
1: oh absolutely okay
0: that's what we're looking for okay that's where the that's the the center that's the engine of the catastrophizing is your body still thinks it has it can do a thing that will keep your mom okay your body still thinks, okay, mom's gone. We are on our own. And the way through our own uh, – the, the way through this is we will control everything. And when your yeah. brain feels like you're not paying enough attention, it's going to start playing movies in the foreground to make you pay attention. Yes. And we're just going to turn that, that part of your brain off and let it be where it should be, which is identifying real threats, not ones that are imagined. The second thing I want you to do is – I'm holding this up. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, it's just get a journal of some sort, something small that you can write down the wildest of the wild thoughts. Okay. Okay. And sometimes I do do it much less um, now, but occasionally I do it. I'll hold them at arm's length so I can look at them. And I just ask myself one question. Is this true? And 99.9% of the time, it's, it it might be, but probably not. Right. And there's going to be real threats in the world. Right? Like right now, everything feels like 1917. Right. Like a small little conflict started over in, you know, in Russia. And then last night or two nights ago, Putin mobilizes a bunch of troops. And then somebody has a failed assassination over. It feels like the world's turning into a powder keg and we're waiting on one spark to set it off, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so there's real stuff, but I want my body to be able to focus through the noise of those things, the things I can act- that are actually real threats and by the way, what I can actually do about them. That's the other part. That's, that's part two. Identifying those thoughts. Is this true? And then underneath it, what can I do about it? Yeah. And that's what we're going to focus. You know what I can do about Russia invading Ukraine? Zero things. I can do zero things. Yeah. Zero. Zero, zero. zero, Does that make sense?
2: It does, yes.
0: I wish I could give you a thing that just stopped it. Right. But it's actually a, not a bug in the system. It's your brain trying to take care of you. What's your That's biggest... Let's, hey, let's do this one together. What's your biggest catastrophe? What's the thing you catastrophize the most?
1: Uh, something happening to my kids and me not being there. It could be anything. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, your body's—you've been through that story. Yeah. You, it it was hellacious not having your mom, wasn't it? Oh yes.
1: Something could happen to you, but it probably won't.
0: So, what can you do about it? And that's, that's, a, that's an honest question. And I'm thinking like not texting and driving and wearing a seatbelt and not drinking and driving. Like what are some things you can do about it?
1: I don't know. I mean, just do the best I can do when I'm in control.
0: The more specific you can itemize things, the more your, um, the fear part of your brain will realize you're driving. Meaning, if for a a season, you have a little note card in your car that just says, have I done all the things? Yep. Yep. I've done what I can do. Okay. You can't do anything about a drunk driver.
1: Right.
0: You can't do anything about somebody running a red light. You can make sure your seatbelt's on. You can make sure you're not intoxicated. You make sure I don't text and drive. Make sure all my kids are in uh, their car seats. And then, that's what I can do. And what yeah. we're going to do is we're going to practice making peace there. But if you're in the car driving and you're wondering, did I do everything I could do? Do I do everything? And now your brain's like, who's driving? And it, then out of the back of your brain, I'll take over. And then mm-hmm. the, the story start, right? Yeah. So what can I actually do in a nuclear holocaust? Not a not a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I'll have some canned goods, I guess. And... There's a local – there's a creek down the street from me. I'll go there, right? I mean, so it's, like, very limited, and it's like, oh, okay, so not a lot.
2: Right.
0: And uh, just making peace with it. Are you scared to go back and deal with it? Uh, No, I don't think so. Or Let me say it like this. Not that you're scared, like, I don't know what to do. Uh, more right. like, I'm scared that if I finally deal with this, mom leaves. I don't
1: think so. Don't I think I, so. think I can –
0: yeah get into it yeah okay all right let me tell you what's on the other side of this thing you haven't laughed for real in a long time Mm -hmm. and you probably renee haven't slept in full crash course deep rem sleep and beneath that the deep sleep probably possibly ever You haven't been able to prop your feet up in a relationship and just settle in. You might be married and be in love and he loves you or whatever, but to be completely at peace because you've been making sure nobody comes busting in the door to kill everybody. That's what we're aiming for here. You're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. We'll be right back. It seems like everybody's talking about how crazy the housing market is right now and how powerless homebuyers feel. Mix that with the stress of moving and life change and job change and you've got a tornado of anxiety fueling one of the biggest purchases you'll ever make. This is not a good idea. So, if you're a new home buyer right now, my advice to you is to focus on what you can control, like the people you choose to help you in the home buying process. You need folks like my friends at Churchill Mortgage. Churchill is a Ramsey trusted provider that's been helping people with their home mortgages for decades. And their home buyer edge program will help you skip a bunch of the stress. Here's how it works. Apply to become a Churchill certified home buyer and cap your interest rate for 90 days. Then you'll get a $5,000 seller guarantee to help your offer stand out. So go ahead, take a deep breath, because Churchill has your back. Check them out at churchillmortgage.com slash Deloney and get the Home Buyer Edge today. All right, we are back. Hey, before I run to the next call, um... EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprogramming. It's a technique people do with a pen or with some sort of instrument or some following some something with your eye recalling the trauma. And it um, has in anecdotally, I haven't read the, the data on it recently, but anecdotally, it's um, – People I've met with over the years have just reported it being magic, quite frankly, um, really an important part of healing from trauma. And this is a weird thing. Um, I've had people reach out with some odd regularity on social media asking, do I trust it? Is it safe? Can people of faith do EMDR? I don't know what people think it is. Well, they, Maybe they're getting it confused with DMT or some sort of like psychedelic thing, but um, – Absolutely, I I can't wrap my head around any possible reason a person of faith would not be into EMDR. It's um, an incredible healing modality. It doesn't work for everybody, but it's something I would recommend if you've got trauma that you've experienced recently or in the past, and you're trying to bring your body into the present while leaving the memories where they were, integrating those memories into your life in a non-threatening way. um, Eye movement desensitization reprogramming EMDR um, can work wonders often, especially if the trained therapist knows what they're doing. So, um, check in on that. If that's something that's good for you, check out a local provider in your area and, um, see if that it brings you some healing. All right, let's go to Kyler in
3: Layton. What's up, Kyler? Hey, Dr. Don, how's it going? Good, man. What's up? Oh, I'll just, uh, I'll start with my question and then I'll provide some backstory after that. Um, so my wife and I we've been married for about 5 months and we're in the process of adopting my 2-year-old nephew. My question is <laughs> cuz
0: <'Cause> why not?
3: <laughs> why not? Why why wouldn't we, right? Why wouldn't we just pile on?
0: Well, just say like so when somebody says we're hot, we're we're adopting our nephew, here's what that says to me. Family is a train wreck. Um it's a mess. We got picked or we stepped in and said <laughs> we're dealing with this. And we now, and if you put that on top of we've been married five months, this is incredible. Go
3: ahead. Keep going. Am I right? Uh, pretty much. I've got one side of the family that um, is a little more dysfunctional than the other, but don't we, much, don't yeah. we all,
0: don't we all? That's yeah. right. <laughs>
3: That's right. Um, so my question is, is how do we set effective boundaries for not only the biological parents, but also for the rest of the family? Hmm. Um, okay. And this all kind of, spearheaded about a couple weeks ago, we made the decision that we want to change this child's name. He's named after my brother. Um, We feel like that name was kind of it's mounted in trauma. He hasn't had a great start to his life and we want to start a new chapter. Um, And that, that part of that is his name for us. So, My other brother got involved. I have two older brothers. Um, The middle one is the biological father. And then my oldest one, I sort of feel like they're ganging up on me and my wife. I feel like I'm disrespecting um, the biological father by changing the name. Um, And everyone seems to have this opinion. And to be quite frank, Dr. John, I don't care for anyone's opinion. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to survive. Yeah. So Um, I'm trying to do the best that I can.
0: Let's be 100% candid.
3: Uh that you are
0: disrespecting your older brother. I'm not suggesting he doesn't deserve that. Mm -hmm. But looking at him saying, I'm taking your son from you because you can't handle this child or you're abusing this child. This child's not safe with you. So I'm going to become this child's new dad. And I don't even want him. He's not, your name isn't even worthy of this kid. So I'm taking it off. Like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a slap in the face to anybody's kid.
3: Absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't have the right to be hurt um, or anything like that. Um, I just, I feel like I've done research. I've talked to people who have been, who have been both adopted and have gone through the adoption process. Mm-hmm. Um, the caseworkers have told me it might be a good idea to start with. Um, I don't feel like this was just a "oh, I hate my brother" kind of a thing. I love. No, 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 no. I,
0: I, I don't. Career. I don't think. I don't think that at all. Um, here's what I think. Uh, I think you haven't fully thought through what. Let me let me say it this way: by adopting this kid, you are opting out of the family as it normally operates. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you fully absorb that yet, or metabolize that your family cannot and will not function as it once did. And I think what you're doing is noble and, and the right thing. Just the way family was done before is over. And your your middle brother, the, bro- the father of this child, feels like they got a loophole, which is they're gonna have access to their kid and still be the dad, but they don't have to do any of the dad work. And so if you're going to truly be the the uh, parent and guardian of this kid, there's going to have to be some space and distance between biological dad. Also knowing that in our current world, there is no way to have, deny access forever. At some point, right. that little boy wants to know who my dad really is and why am I not with my dad. What was so bad about me that dad left me? Right and so here, here's what I'm trying to take take the romance out of this this is gonna be hard right and everybody's gonna have to act like an adult I hate that your oldest brother isn't um who didn't step up and offer to take this kid I'm sad that he thinks he can armchair quarterback this deal hmm you see what I'm saying yeah yeah absolutely I hate that for you So, do y'all all all live together? Do y'all live by each other?
3: Um, My two brothers—they live in Salt Lake. They live right near each other, so it's probably twenty minutes, thirty minutes away. And then my wife and I live um, a little further north.
0: But okay, it may be considering that Utah's not for you guys for a while. Okay, that's and I'm thinking through. I'm just all I'm doing. I don't have any data or any sort of research to back this up. I'm just trying to put myself exactly in your position. What I would do. Like you're talking about changing his name. That tells me that there are some deep reasons that we are cutting ties. Right. And so you can't cut some of the ties and hope all the tie, the rest of the ties just untangle themselves. It's just not how they work. What do your parents think about all this?
3: Um, my dad, um, he is a recovering addict. So he's kind of in and out of jail, but. Okay. Um, He's been sober lately And he is
0: (laughs) I'm just gonna stop you right there Like He didn't get a vote And I don't say that I don't say that mean But He's sober right now So he has to be dad for a few months While he's clean That's just not how that works He can't toggle in and out You're a guy that's been on your own for a
3: long time Aren't you? Um, I've had a great mom (laughs) She's been a single mom And she's She's amazing but I am kind of the the caretaker of the family.
0: (laughs) So you made a bold move. And again, Mm -hmm. the words I'm using can be taken either way. I'm taking this as a good thing. You took a, you made a bold and brave move. You can't, you can't care for this child. I will. Did the court take him away or did he, did your brother surrender him to you?
3: The court took him away and then he eventually, um, after a couple of months, he was going through the parenting plan and not kind of doing what he needed to be doing. And he then signed him over to to us. Okay. But I mean, that was with an agreement. Um, I I didn't take his child. Um, That was never the intention. And we had many conversations beforehand, like what this would look like. Is he an addict? Um, I think he has a a marijuana problem. Um, I don't know if he does anything else. Um, my oldest brother and I grew up with my mom, and then he kind of grew up in many different households because he was living with my dad. Okay, right. So he had a little bit tougher upbringing.
2: Hmm.
0: Let me back out of – because I'm going on a rabbit hole here. Let me back out a little bit. Okay. I would be willing to bet that you and your wife had your own independent pictures of what parenthood was going to look like. Oh, yeah. And that you, oh, and, yeah. you and your wife also had very clear pictures of what your first couple of years of marriage was going to be like. Dude, y'all were going to be doing it all the time. And <laughs> wherever, wherever, it doesn't matter. And y'all are going to go on vacations and do cool stuff and pay off your debts. Y'all can do all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And now it's going to look different already out of the gate. And where I see couples get sideways is they go do a th- unified thing together. But the way it was going to look and feel while they were doing this thing, they miss each other. Right. And so you and your wife have to constantly stay connected. This week looks different. How do you want this to look? Last week looked different. How do you want this one, upcoming one to look? Y'all got to stay really plugged in together on this.
3: We're, uh, we're really trying, we do what you recommend kind of, um, every Sunday morning we, we sit down, we have breakfast and we awesome. talk about how the week's going. Good. Oh, so good, um, dude. Is that helping? It's helping so much. Um, yes. we went through a bit of a rough patch. We were pretty stressed. Um, in the beginning, I, I say in the beginning, we've only been married for five months. So I guess <laughs> this is the beginning, but
0: dude, if you've already figured it out after five months, you win, write that book. You'll be, you'll be rich. <laughs> write that book. <laughs> we're
3: trying to, we're trying to, um, um,
0: yeah, this little boy's life can only be as good as you and your wife are connected. Mm-hmm. And that's a controversial statement. I don't care.
3: I, I agree 100%. And and we do. I mean, my mom and my wife's mom are very good about watching him so we can go on date nights. Um, awesome. Once a week, we try to do that. Awesome. We're trying to keep our lives, um, you know, we're 22 and 24. So we're still trying to be young, but fun. Or, but parents. Can I
0: tell you, like, of all the things, like, everything you're doing is noble, and y'all are. It's going to be hard, and it's going to be messy, and it sounds like you don't know what's coming, but you know something hard's coming, and you're stepping in that gap anyway, which is awesome. I can't get my head around changing that little boy's name. Tell me about that. Um, (laughs) it it feels like here's it feels like it feels like an immature attempt to erase something that you can't erase.
3: And that might be true. Like I, like I said, I'm 22 and I'm, I'm not, and we haven't done anything yet. And if, if people are speaking into my life that I trust are saying, don't do it, then it, it would be something we would reconsider. But okay. what it comes down to is this little boy has been neglected. Mm-hmm. Um, he was taken from his home for 32 days. Um, my brother, my brother really let him down. Um, And and it breaks my heart to, to hear that name called to my, I mean, he, he's my son, Dr. John, I, it, it breaks my heart to see that name or hear that name associated with a new, with what I consider a new baby. He's, he's, he's new. And it's not that I want to erase my brother. And it's not that he won't know at a very, very young age that he was adopted and this was a situation and your dad loves you. And this is who he is. It's not that we want to keep him from him. It's just that I think this, this baby deserves a new beginning. Um, and this is this is kind of the way I thought it might be a good idea.
0: It sounds like the baby's not the one that needs the new beginning. It sounds like you do.
3: Can you elaborate on that?
0: You're the one that can't stand to hear that name, not him. Yeah. Hey, yeah, that's probably true. Um, here's the deal. I don't have any skin in that game. I don't have any skin in that game. Um, if the if the people in your life who have kids who are speaking into your life, the mentors you have, and I would ask non-family mentors, okay? Um, okay? I don't know what what your faith background is. I don't know what your cultural background is. I don't know any of those things that would lend itself to the power and importance of a name. So I don't feel good about speaking into it other than to say, this feels a lot more about you than it does this kid. And I want you to make sure you never use your kid to make you feel better about yourself or ever do things with this kid so that you feel better about fill in the blank. And if you can learn this lesson at 22, at 23, at 25, you will be so far ahead of other dads, me included. Um. But this little boy will know this for his entire life, that half of me is my mom and half of me is my dad. And the demon, when dads leave their kids or dads choose to uh, or are unable to, I'll say it that way, uh, keep their kids, is that kid asks forever, is half of me bad too? Is half of me capable of leaving too? And so your love and your connection is going, to be a, is going to be a lifeline to this kid on top of that question, underneath that question, to the side of that question that will haunt him for a lot of his life. And I don't know. I have to think about that, one. I've never heard that in my whole life, somebody saying, I'm adopting somebody in my family, and i am changing the name because this kid is better than your name. Um, ask some people in your community and your, in your cultural background and your faith community, the wisdom on that. Um, just check yourself. Is this new name, a new start for this baby or is this new name a start for me? And when it comes to your wife, um, man, you are on the path. It, just continue to check in and create a culture that when she says I need this or I'm scared about this or I have a gut feeling that so-and-so is going to show up and try to take this kid tonight or so-and-so gets drunk and I don't want to run my kid that you are able to go I hear you let's see if we can make this happen and and vice versa that y'all are constantly working through that it's going to be a rough go no question it's going to be a rough go sounds like y'all are the right folks to do it being as young as you are and as newly wedded as you are surround yourself with mature couples who are 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the road from you and make sure you've got people that you trust that you can ask wise counsel from. Thank you so much for being a guy that steps up in his community. You're a blessing. We'll be right back. All right, let's take one more. Let's go to Diane in one of my favorite cities in America, Santa Fe, New Mexico. What's up, Diane?
2: Hi, Dr. Deloney. How are you today?
0: So good. How are you?
2: Doing good. Thank you so much.
0: Of course. What's up?
2: Hi. Um, Just a little bit of background. Um, I'm a disabled veteran. I participated in Desert Storm. And I'm going to be 58 in a few days. I'm a fiscal year baby. And... In May, I graduated with dual master's degrees. I have an MSW and an MBA from a state university. Okay. Um, The kicker is that two weeks before graduation, my new VA doctor told me that I had been diagnosed with ADHD, but I was never notified. Totally fell through the cracks. (laughs) Because why not, right?
0: Way to go, VA. Way to go. (laughs)
2: Okay. Uh, Yeah. So two weeks uh, before working on two master's degrees. Oh, by the way, I found out that you have this. I'm like, oh, great. My university was extremely difficult, but I got through. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have generalized anxiety disorder. um, I believe that's part of the ADHD as well. Um, I was always blue and pink collar in the past. I always worked factory jobs and office jobs. Um, I always had trouble with jobs uh, and with taking care of my personal affairs. So I have a patchy life of great success and spectacular failure, both. And now I'm a white-collar professional for the first time in my life, and I'm getting ready for a new job in two weeks. I'm terrified to go into a new professional job and mess up because of the ADHD impulsiveness, lack of social skills. No boundaries, no sense of time, procrastination, all of those classic symptoms. Um, I did just start Ritalin uh, with the help of my new VA doctor. Uh, She's wonderful. I'm on a waiting list for therapy. How do I make this new transition a success for my new team, for the people I'm going to be caring for and for myself?
0: Awesome, awesome question. I think you're awesome, by the way, Diane. Oh
2: thank you i think
0: you are too well i'm i'm a youtuber let's be honest i'm not that (laughs) like i want tiktok for god's sake uh Uh, you the people you sit down to love are so blessed because you're in their life i'm glad you've made this transition um have you heard me talk about my mom's story Okay, I'll do this in 30 seconds and we'll get to your answers. But here's some encouragement for you. Um, My mom didn't go to college, just for a number of reasons, um, didn't go to college. First community college class was age 42. She graduated her PhD at 57. So y'all are basically the same boat wow at 62 63 she got tenured as a professor at some fancy university and she's in her 70s and she just we I was talking to her the other night and she's like yeah I'm gonna be teaching at Oxford next summer dude this is a lady that would not get on an airplane minus nine get Xanax and now she's flying all over the world in her 70s teaching at fancy see what I'm saying so here's what I'm t- I want to encourage you the party's just getting going Diane
2: that's wonderful to hear. The party's I was just getting if I was too late.
0: No, no, you got no. <laughs> All right, here's what you've got to do. You've hmm. got to cool it with the labels, okay? Uh-huh. Dunskeys. No more blue collar, white collar. I'm of this, not of that. Here's the deal. You've had ADHD your whole life. You didn't just get it two weeks before you graduated. You, You're you right. You rattled off a series of symptoms that fell into a, a diagnostic category, and somebody went wham and stamped your chart with a stamp. You've been dealing with this your whole thing in life.
2: Um, that's true. I was diagnosed uh, as a second grader in the early 70s, but back then they thought children outgrew it. So after sixth grade, they just cut you off. That was it.
0: That's right. So, you've been wrestling with this forever. Did you get dishonorably discharged?
2: No, I'm honorably discharged. Um, In fact, I earned an Army Commendation Medal. Uh, I was an expert on the M16. I have other awards. All right, so hold hold on, hold on.
0: You are able to take apart, fix, put back together, and fire an M16 with extraordinary precision, correct?
2: Um, Yes, I was very good at
0: it. You're able to follow directions in a way when you are actually engaged in a task in a way that is second to none. Very few people on the planet can laser in with that ability and focus on that particular task like you can. True or false?
2: Um, That's true.
0: That's true. So I don't want to hear any nonsense about your brain is broken. That you have a label, okay. that you've got some sort of dysfunction. Okay. Mm-hmm. You do have regulation Hi. issues. And as a card carrying member of the How Do You Stay Employed ADHD Club, I would like to welcome you to our gang officially. Okay.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so
0: um, uh, you are putting a lot of bricks in your own backpack for no reason other than the fact that you have been told throughout your life, as much of a, as many of us in America have been told, that there is a difference between people who turn wrenches for a living and people who write briefs in a law, in a courtroom for a living and people who do quote unquote work where they have to tuck their shirts in and iron their clothes for a living. There is no difference. Um, There is work and it all has value. um,
2: Yes, you're right. Um, My father uh, was blue collar. Um, I grew up in a, a blue collar, uh, type of atmosphere, uh, learned a lot under him. Um, but I did too, then, um, but,
0: but you also learned, we actually, we do the real work around here. Those white collar folks, they just, that's what you learned. My dad was a cop. I did too. I learned that too. <laughs> right. Like, oh, those guys just sitting in those places with their suits on. And then when I got a suit on, I was like, those guys work hard. It's a different kind of work. They just... They have more access to, more, to better alcohol to numb it all with, but like that job's hard too. So what you're going to find is as, as, a, as a MSW, an MBA as a leader, leadership's hard. Like dealing with the struggles of people's hard. Balancing all the budgets across all, that's hard. And so there's not a difference there
2: new position, um, it'll be my um, first, um, is with uh, Adult Protective Services. I'm going to be wonderful. an investigative caseworker.
0: Wonderful. So here's what you're going to be really good at, I'm guessing. You are going to be incredible at connecting with your staff. You are going to be the most loved supervisor. You're going to be incredible showing up on a scene and sitting down with somebody who – or a family that has to make a hard decision about um, putting one of their uh, – elderly family members in a home or in a place or getting you're going to be amazing at that and you are going to be a nightmare at case notes is that
2: true that's true
0: you're going to have like little bits of paper or like a yellow pad and then you're going to go from yellow pad to an ipad and from an ipad to like a special journal it's that's gonna be the hard part, right? is the is the the businessy parts making sure your reports are done and they're written up so that when you go to court, which you inevitably will, you can look like you're an adult, right You see what I'm saying? That's gonna be the hard part. Is that fair?
2: Um, yes, um I'm one of those um I'll procrastinate on something until the last second to build up the adrenaline to get it done. um and I, I have really uh, a terrible time with a uh, sense of time.
0: That my um, my wife my wife calls it my there. magic time.
2: <laughs> that's cute. She
0: says you're the only person I've ever met who gets in the shower at eight oh four and gets out of the shower at eight fifteen, and they're really mad that they're going to be late to the eight o'clock meeting. That's thirty <laughs> minutes away. Like, she's like, I don't know, like you have the strangest, it's 7.58, and I'm like, no, oh, that's cool, there's not an 8 there. I got time to shower, brush my teeth, and shave, and sing a few songs, and then drive to work. I'll get coffee, too, on the way, stop at the dry cleaner. And then I get to work, and it's 8.40, and I'm mad at the time. Like, I'm, like, the clock screwed me somehow. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I, dude, I am with you. I am with you.
2: I'm
0: so glad you understand. Oh god, dude, it's 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 like uh I was with um I was with James Child, the former producer. We were having that uh, we were having dinner the other day together, and we were talking about something and we had somewhere to be. And I just kept talking and talking, and it was like the light bulb went on for him, and he looked at me and goes, You literally experience time differently than I do. And I was like, I think so. And he because I could feel it in his body, he was like, We gotta go, we gotta go. And I was like, dude, we're in the middle of a hard conversation, let's just keep talking. This is great. And it's when he realized, oh, you are feeling this whole thing different than me. It just is. So here's our responsibility.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I can't be late all the time because it's disrespectful to people that I care about and that I love and who are other professionals. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And so I have to do the best I can to either hire somebody who keeps me accountable if I can do that in my current job. I have to create systems that I never deviate from regardless of quote-unquote, and here's what's bad about ADHD, folks, how we feel. Because mm-hmm. we feel so heavy. We feel so strongly about things. Yeah. So I will exercise regardless of how I feel unless I'm at a point of fatigue where I, I, I can cross the line and now I've been doing it long enough, now I know. I literally didn't work out this morning because I've reached a fatigue le- level that if I work out, I'm going to get sick, and then I'm going to be out for three days. I know that about myself, and so I, I took this morning off. I'll get it in this afternoon, but I took this morning off. That's okay, but 99% of the time, my feelings don't get a vote in the mornings. I will, mm-hmm. I will do this at this time. I'll do this, and I've had to practice it. Practice, 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 practice. If you filter your practices through, I have this thing, it's never going to work. Okay. Okay. Keep this phrase in your mind. It's a context, not an excuse. I like that. Okay. You are going to be more chaotic and you are going to be more loving when you get there than anybody else. You're going to struggle with deadlines and... Your reports are going to be better than anybody's else's. Okay, so you're bringing a lot to the table too. Um, your mission in life is not to not be so um, ADHD. Your mission in life is to get things in on time. We're going to focus on the thing, not the label. We're going to do a. a we're going to do a awesome job, whether we are reassembling an M16 or whether we are writing case notes at the, at the nursing home, because we just do excellent work. That's just who we are. Not.
2: Absolutely. Does that, does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I'm, I'm so, so glad you put it that way. Um, really. Um I'll be honest that um, being told that just two weeks before graduation and then of course you have all of the emotions and nostalgia in your life of, wow, I finally made it and this is going on. Um, But then I had that. Then I had this inertia for a while. I was too afraid to look for a job um, because I didn't know. So there was a lot of that going on as well. Um, But I finally decided I haven't worked since January And I said, I really, really need to get going on this. I've just got to stop being afraid. I have noticed the difference with the Ritalin, which I'm really glad for.
0: Oh, dude, Ritalin's an (laughs) Yeah. Ritalin's an amplifier. Here's the thing, here's the demon of Ritalin. It works. (laughs) Yes. It works. Same (laughs) as cocaine. Cocaine works. It works great. And then it kills you, right? Alcohol. Ah. If you're sad, alcohol shuts that thing off. (laughs) it it helps you forget and then it takes everything else with you with it right so riddle like um i'm not gonna be somebody who tells a 58 year old who's entering into a new job who's had a lifelong war with adhd to not take um medicine i'm not gonna do that that's cruel okay if you find some relief from Ritalin, which you will i can't imagine a scenario where you won't um where you will find some relief good In that relief, I want you to begin to practice setting up um, systems. As the great James Clear says, we fall to the strength of our systems. Meaning, if I wake up every day hoping I feel like exercising, I'm never going to do it. But if I've built my morning routine around 45 minutes of being in my personal gym, and I've, over the last three years, have bought some equipment in my personal gym – the system of my home is, John's downstairs from 5.15 to 6 o'clock a.m., then even no matter what I feel, I'm going to fall to my system. My kids will ask me, I thought you were working out. My wife would be like, what are you doing up here? This is when you exercise. Like the whole system is designed for me to work out during that time. We will fall to those systems. So while the, the voices are quieter, I had one buddy tell me, he was an adult who started taking rid of things, about 50. He said it was like, he didn't realize he'd been trying to learn and have conversations in a stadium full of people his entire life. And then he said it yeah. finally sounded like everyone stopped talking for the first time in his life. And he was mm-hmm. like, oh, wow. That's, that's what he described it as, okay?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think the last numbers I heard, I, I'm going to be off here a little bit, but three-fourths, 75% of college-age students are taking some sort of stimulant. That's insane. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's there's an abuse side of this too. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at this as the adjunct that it is, not the savior. Okay.
2: Okay.
0: It's an outstanding support, especially for someone in your situation, to be able to finally, okay, everybody stop yelling. Wow. Now I can do the work. Is that cool? Mm-hmm.
2: That's cool. Um, One good thing about the VA, um, they're extremely uh, strict with um, controlled substances. That's right. That's right. Um, so I do have to take your analysis test, um, blood work, make sure that, uh, I'm doing fine. I have to ask for it every month. It's not automatically refilled. Right. Um, I have to go in three months, uh, for assessments constantly. So it's not just like, oh, I'm just getting it and doing what I want. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good.
0: yeah. Absolutely not. I, I, you know what? Like from what you're telling me, and again, I'm not a psychiatrist, a psychologist, anything like that. I, I, it makes sense. It makes total sense. And if you were my mom, I'd high five you. I wouldn't think, I wouldn't be like, I don't know, like good for you. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I am, of all the things you've told me, the thing I'm most concerned for you is you have lived your entire life trying to chase down the right label for you. And listen to me so carefully. You don't need a freaking label to tell you that you're incredible. And Thank nobody's so ever told you that, Diane.
2: Um, I have been told that. Um, I've had a hard time believing it. There
0: you, okay. I stand corrected. You've not believed it. It's time. You're not your anxiety. You're not your ADHD. You're not your honorable discharge. You're not your veteran status. Those are things you've experienced. Those are things you have done. Those are parts of your life. You are Diane, my friend from Santa Fe, New Mexico, who's entering into yet another rad adventure, being a leader in a job that serves the least of these in our communities and struggling families and a bunch of new professionals, and you were selected to enter into that world because you're good at it. You're worthy of being loved, my sister, regardless of the labels. Stay on track with your doctor. Stay on track with your counselor. Good for you, good for you, good for you. I'm proud of you. White collar, blue collar, whatever it is, work to be excellent. And remember, it's a context, not an excuse. Still got to get that work done, Diane. We'll be rooting for you. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up? Deloney here. Listen, you and me And everybody else on the planet has felt anxious or burned out or chronically stressed at some point. In my new book, Building a Non-Anxious Life, you'll learn the six daily choices that you can make to get rid of your anxious feelings and be able to better respond to whatever life throws at you so you can build a more peaceful, non-anxious life. Get your copy today at johndeloney.com. All right, we are back, and uh, Kelly picked the song of the day. It's the song I sing every time she uh, chooses yet again to wear overalls to work, as though we're on a farm. Songs by The Great Journey, made famous by Glee. Don't stop believing. Is that is that the one they sing?
1: Don't you dare say that that song was made <laughs> famous by Glee. <laughs> That's
0: so offensive. <laughs> I love that show. Y'all are the worst. Don't stop believing. Just a small town girl, dressed in overalls, living in a lonely world. She always wears overalls. Just took the midnight train, going anywhere. Just a city boy, born and raised in South Detroit. Eight mile? He took the midnight train, going anywhere. A Singer in a smoky room, the smell of wine and cheap perfume for a smile they can share the night. It goes on and on and on. Strangers waiting up and down the boulevard. Their shadows searching in the night. Don't stop believing. Hold on. Don't stop believing. (laughs) I was going to say something prophetic. And then I just thought, you sound like an idiot, Deloney. Hey, love you guys. See you soon.